Shamai Akroiso. Yeah, hello and welcome to the New York Welsh Podcast. The podcast that celebrates Welsh success stories in New York, while hopefully inspiring the creation of some new ones. I am Gideon. And I am Richard. Our guest on this episode was Kian Llewellyn, who is uh, a young and ambitious actor, producer and director, uh, who was over here in New York with uh, his his short film, uh, The Outing, based on the Dylan Thomas short story. Uh, the outing was uh, premiering at the Alamo Draft House in yeah. Brooklyn. The the Iron Mule Comedy Festival. Yeah, the story itself um, is uh, an adaptation, um, but it's a pretty uh, interesting one in terms of how he approached it. And we we get into the story of um, not only how he kind of funded the film, but also what it was like to actually make it. Um, and it, I certainly learned a lot about. Um, filmmaking and what it, what it takes to create a, a short film and, and try and have it um, screened internationally. Yeah, the logistics of making a, a short film in your hometown with no money. <laughs> yeah, so if you ever if that's you and that's what you're thinking about, then uh, definitely listen to this. Kian Llewellyn. Well, thanks for joining us, Kian. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, it's Welcome. great. Welcome. Yeah, great to have you Thank on. Thank you. Um, obviously, we, we just mentioned before we started recording, um, obviously we were recording this the day before uh, your screening of the outing, um, which of course is an adaptation of the of the dylan thomas short story Mm -hmm. and now i read somewhere that uh you came up with this idea while you were out for dinner with your dad yeah 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 that's true true. yeah so i was up in edinburgh um this was 2014 august and uh we were we were both up there uh just watching shows i've often been up there performing but this year we were just watching and um I'd I'd left Rada in the March or the March of that year and uh, had just been reading lots of Dylan Thomas and uh, really sort of was connecting with my sort of Welsh past and heritage and stuff like that. And I thought, God, it'd be great to make a film about uh, something about him or a story because it was the year of his centenary then as well. So there's lots coming out. And um, so I mentioned this to my dad and we we were at dinner one night and we'd had quite a bit to drink and... uh, he said, oh, do you remember that you read The Outing when you were at school? When I was about uh, eight years old, we had this prose reading competition Mm -hmm. and each person from a class picked a a piece of writing that they enjoyed, uh, performed it, read it out, and then that went through to kind of each class, each year, whatever. So this was this was a school in in uh, in uh, is actually in Loughborough. So I was brought up in Nottingham. So perhaps um, not everyone there would have been no, familiar. No, actually, in fact, I don't think anyone was. Uh, and I, I got to the kind of final um, round. It was quite embarrassing because when I went home, I told my parents that, um, which is true, the the judge didn't know who Dylan Thomas was. So really? which which they couldn't believe. But I read a just a, a short section of the outing, and the year before that, I read um, a section from a child's Christmas in Wales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just loved doing it, and the the, the different characters and the voices and. Um, and then he said, you should do the outing uh, when we were at dinner. And I suddenly thought that the, the village I was brought up in, Nottinghamshire, it's called Colston Bassett. Mm-hmm. And it's full of these quirky, uh, idiosyncratic, unique characters who just fill the village. I mean, it's a very small place. And the, the hub of it is de- most definitely the pub, the Martin's Arms. Mm-hmm. So you oh, so it's interesting. So you immediately thought of to shoot it in in your hometown. It wasn't absolutely, yeah. absolutely, because I mean, there's a lot of you know budget, and it's my it's my first film. I didn't know what I was doing, so I thought at least if I'm where I know, 
uh, it's, it makes things easier logistically mm. Ab- absolutely um but fundamentally and i really think this is true i don't think you could you could have got a more suitable group of people mm. to 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 do it because at the end of the day they are a group of friends that love drinking together and that's all we're, that's all we're trying to capture so we're talking now we're talking about the cast yeah who exactly. are uh just the characters from your local village and they're not professional actors no 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 none of them one of them uh one of them did train as an actor and i i did some shows up with him in edinburgh but uh, he he teaches drama now okay um but the rest of them uh who make up the the majority of the cast and who are in it throughout the whole film uh have never done anything like this uh. before so it, it it never really felt like a gamble because i was so convinced of their what would be their on-screen chemistry because you don't need to go to this pub and watch them be with one another and you'd think, God, there's, there's something quite special here. Yeah, I, I often said that if you put CCTV cameras in the pub and some speakers, you'd have a you'd have a drama one week, a sitcom the next, uh, a thriller the next. You know, it's that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I guess to some extent, I was about to ask, you know, what it was like to direct a, a, a cast that hadn't acted before. But I guess given this was your first film, I guess you didn't really know. <laughs> well, no, that's true. That's true. Um, as an actor, though, I suppose, as an actor yourself, I mm, mean, you've mm. got some experience about what you expect. From yeah, exactly. And and I, I think that helped enormously. When I, when I, when I trained at drama school, you, you really you get an insight as to the sort of relationship you want with the director and how you want how the director needs to communicate with you in order to produce a performance um it was funny because uh with these guys because because of their history and because of their uh relationship with one another their characteristics they pretty much fit the exact characteristics of the characters in the in the outing itself in Dylan's story mm-hmm. so it was just a question of thinking right i know there's a guy in the cast called Edward. What's what does he do? Okay, well he likes singing and he's really big. He's quite tall anyway. So I'll 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 cast him ironically as a as a guy called Little Gerwine, hmm. and therefore that's ironic and he can't sing at all and neither can Edward. So it was just a case of putting together um, the real people into the into into Dylan's world, and um, and that was another reason why filming in a familiar location was great for them because they were at ease. You know they were comfortable. They didn't. That's that's incredible. You'd think, yeah. You know maybe they might uh, uh, freeze up in front of the camera or. Well, th- you know there were moments where um, basically a lack of experience. That was all that was. There were moments where they um, they might they they looked at the camera a few times and you know the odd time yeah they froze but um, we just we just did it again and did a couple more takes and it was definitely worth it because you know the the spirit that they have and the kind of camaraderie and the and the, just the general banter they don't even need to be drunk and um no and that that shows that yeah shines through yeah yeah i mean they were drinking real beer that's how i sold it to them uh, <laughs> I, I came up with this idea and said look um when i got back from edinburgh i um i went straight into the pub and the main um character the uncle was played by a guy called richard jackson and he he, he was brilliant he he again had no experience but he really took to it like a doctor water he was he was fantastic and i said to him Jack, I've had this crazy idea, you know, um, I want to do this Dylan Thomas short story. It's never been done before, and I want you to play the lead guy. And he sort of looked at me, and the kind of guy he is, he just sort of went, yeah, okay, great, <laughs> fine, whatever. And then he was, and then I sort of told everyone else, and um, I just said, listen, all you got to do is, a lot of them are retired, so they didn't have to stop working or anything like that. 
um, but give up, give up. Well, in the end, it was five days, but of course they weren't all needed for all the, all that time. And I'll pay all the bar bill. And so that, well, they would, you know, they just loved it. They absolutely loved the experience. And it was five, so you did it for five consecutive days. So we did, um, we did four and a half. We planned five days. We we did sort of four, four and a half. The last day was um, we didn't have great weather. This was in May, two thousand and sixteen. And then we decided to do a pickup day um, in August because a piece of equipment broke and. And because it's it's set in August, um, so we wanted great weather, and we were completely blessed. I mean, the weather was amazing. Um, and a pick for a pickup day is for those who don't know. Yeah, so a pickup day is where uh, anything that you couldn't do in the main shoot that you think it's worth reshooting, or or uh, yeah, it, anything you did and you don't think is good enough, um, or just didn't manage to get. Oh yeah, exactly. Or didn't manage to get those two. Um, then you then then you, then you do it in a pickup day, and the pickup day was good actually because it was almost as though. On that day, I mean, we did a sunrise and a sunset, and we did stuff in the pub, and we went. There's a there's a scene where where they're all really merry at this point, and they go down to a weir, um, and uh, they they sort of have a splash around, and they're all being really silly. So we did a lot in that day, but they were so on it, they were so in the zone because they'd done the four or five days in May, mm-hmm. a couple of months earlier. So no, when it professional actors, right they, they were ready. <laughs> Slipped right back into character. They were ready. They were ready, which was great. Um, and so, yeah, they went straight back into it, and we got we got a really good, efficient day. And actually, the, all the shots we got in that pickup day, you know, they all went into the film, and it was well worth doing. Um, yeah, it was it, it was good. It was a lot of fun. Well, it sounds like everybody had a fantastic time. They really did. And actually, you know, it's done it's done quite well with some awards and things like that. But. Uh, when some of the guys, uh, when I go back home and they speak to me and they say, um, you know, I can't thank you enough for that experience, that almost means more because they, I think quite a lot of them were shocked on the first day because we had a professional crew and uh, obviously a total, totally amateur cast. So it was trying to marry these guys, the lighting guys, the sound guys, the DO, the director of photography, myself, uh, with all their experience and their knowledge and their, their talent with uh, essentially a group of professional drunks. <laughs> and um, when, I remember when they thought we, we, we were doing a, a scene in the, um, in the uncle's house and they were lighting with scaffolds from outside into the window. And uh, a couple of them came in and sort of, you know, you, they sort of looked up at this and went, oh, this is serious. You know, they, there's a lot of thought, a lot of planning, yeah. a lot of time and effort uh, gone into this. And then that, so that made them raise their game. Yeah. Mm. Um, because I think even even before we were shooting, perhaps a few of them, uh, through no fault of their own, just sort of thought, oh, well, you know, it'll, it'll be Kian and he'll bring a camera and uh, we'll... <laughs> shoot on his iPhone. And, on yeah, iPhone, exactly. Yeah. We'll have a we'll mess around. So and so's kitchen. Basically, we'll just get pissed and he'll, um, he'll, he'll film it all. Whereas, uh, you know, each, each, each scene, each um, shot was very carefully structured and that shows uh, set up. It, it's very mm. considered in the way that it's, uh, it's shot and, and performed, I think, as well. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a shot list? Did you have a specific shot list like really written down? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it was funny though because so I had never done anything like this before, and um, I wrote the script out from the book, and I I had all of the images and all of the characters and all of the locations, and it's it is literally all shot in one village, very one very small village, and then the bus drives out the village and drives back in, and we get some footage there, so it's all contained in a very small place. Um, but I had all, I had all these ideas in my head, and I sent it to uh, someone I wanted to be part of the crew, the first assistant director. And she read this script, and she said, "Well, you know, it's a great story, but where where are the scene changes? Where is this? Where is that?" And I hadn't put any of them in because I just 
I didn't know to. And and um, they were all in my head, so there you go. And then I suddenly realized, God, yeah, she's absolutely right. So then I did go through and, and put what was in my head down on a on a shot list. Yeah, it was funny, I was reading, a hell of a I was reading um, saying that Steven Spielberg supposedly doesn't have a shot list or, or didn't for his last few. I mean, maybe I'm sure he did at one point. No, I think Christopher Nolan has, um, he has a, he sort of writes a treatment which is a you know an overview of, of of a film, but he does he do, he'll write a small paragraph, and every time he does a scene, he just reads the paragraph, and if the scene is fitting and in keeping with what he wanted to achieve in the film that he's written in that small paragraph, then he cracks on. Oh, interesting. So it's more about his fame is like setting the intent. For the yeah, scene, yeah, yeah, exactly. How you, how you want people to feel, and um, but we had to we had to be um, quite prescript, prescriptive and uh, descriptive because. Um, when you had I had a bunch of amateur drunks. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much. But also, it was the fact that when I got in touch with uh, the director of photography, Michael Spry, he um, I, it was through a friend of a friend, and uh, I said I've got this story, and he read it, and and it's quite easy to do this with Dylan's work if you've not read much of it. But he sort of he sort of thought it was so weird and so quirky and and quite odd, and essentially it's just about a load of guys going drinking. And so, he, and I said to him, "Yeah, that is it." But but what makes it is are the characters and where it's set and uh, and the voiceover. And uh, he said, I, "I I tried to persuade him because I, I said to him, listen, it's an amateur cast. It's my first film, uh, and all this.'" And all of a sudden, I read this email and thought, "God, why would anyone do this? You know, the, 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 there's no professionals involved." Did you mention that you were going to pay the bar bill? Uh, well, to him, he, <laughs> he 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 was quite happy with that. Yeah, um, although he wasn't doing much drinking because he was working far too hard, but. Um, he, he so I said I said to him, listen, come to Nottingham, come to the village, come and stay with me, and I'll take you to the pub, and you can just meet some of the guys. Um, and I didn't really, t- I didn't tell any of them, and but I knew Jacko would be in there, and a group of them would be. So he came up, and we went to the pub, and he he was obviously still quite skeptical, rightfully so. And uh, we had a couple of drinks, and we walked out the pub, and he turned around, he looked at me, he said, yeah, it'll work. Great, Beca- because he saw the potential. Because he saw what I, I, I believed, whilst not going insane, I was seeing. That's great. And mm. um, and he then said uh, that was a it was a great, brilliant idea. Was that one because of the quirky nature of the of the story itself and of the characters, um, uh, both in the story and the, the 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 amateur actors, that we should film it in a in a quirky, weird way to. Um, you know, make it even more eccentric, and so we decided to shoot in four-three uh, aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. Which, um, if you imagine, for for people that don't know, when you watch a film, you often have a black line above and below the 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 screen. Well, this time it's either side on the right and the left, so it's a much squarer picture. Yeah, it'd be like what the televisions would have been. Exactly, you know, exactly then. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Twenty sort years of, ago, uh, uh, last of the summer wine. That's right. Look. Yeah, and uh, only fools and horses was shot in that, and uh, I think the Vicar of Dibley might have been, and um, uh, both programs I love, and and uh, one big inspiration was Wes Anderson, mm. and um, the way the way that he makes films and. I saw a, I saw a lot of potential parallels between the characters that he creates and uh, obviously the amazing actors he gets, but with alongside the the characters that Dylan Thomas created and and the actors that we had, mm-hmm. and to um, accentuate their unique uh, identity, I suppose, um, putting them in this box uh, was a was it was a we thought would be a good way of doing it, and I think it does work. Uh, and and it really it really 
it made uh, coming back to the shot list it made yeah. each shot uh, really easy to structure because if the shot didn't look right in the frame we just ask ourselves right is it symmetrical mm. because that's how they, yeah, I don't know I've never met Wes Anderson but I can imagine that's how he works because everything is so symmetrical mm. and if something wasn't quite right we would make it symmetrical and then we'd go right well that now works you know and it it was it was that simple and so it was a really it was a really good way of, of shooting because its simplicity was its strength mm. yeah i mean obviously you know he has that style that is so you know it's everything centered and it's it is symmetrical as you say but you're right the thing that gets it for me and when i you know we just watched a, a preview of it before we started recording mm. um it, it's the way that you know the captures have the characters have so much have so much character yeah they, um, they, they they do yeah yeah how did how did you manage to bring that out of out of this group like how could you and what was your well, kind of method i suppose for doing that i think i think a lot of it was the the way we shot because when you shoot in four three you're basically saying <clears throat> you're not bothered about what's either side of someone's face let's say say you put a face in in the in the middle of the frame mm-hmm. um a widescreen you'd have a lot of stuff to the left and a lot of stuff to the right because the height of the frame is never changing it's just the width Mm. Um, or at least it's changing less. So um, we thought if you just focus on somebody's face, then that's all you're going to get. And so we believe that their faces were um, interesting enough and diverse enough mm. um, that it was kind of it was kind of as easy as that, really. Um, and they, in terms of getting a performance out of them, I tried to I tried to cast them. So for example. Um, my dad's in the film, and when he and he lives, he's lived in this village for since I was born, twenty three years, uh, and just before then, and he used to go in the pub early doors. Six o'clock is when the pub opened. He he would always be there early doors, so he plays the character that doesn't have to look at his watch to know when the pub opens, and is there every day when the when the door when the door is unlocked. Oh, interesting. So that that's an, just an, a, a small example of how. By linking them together, they didn't have to think too much. They just had to be no, themselves. You, you find mm. the archetype represented in the book. You find the archetype represented exactly. in real life, and exactly. Um, I, I wanted to ask um, the costumes yeah. because they fit so well with the character. Yeah. Did you come up with dozen costumes, or is that their own clothes? The costumes. Uh, there's a great story about the costumes. So um, the answer is it's their own clothing, all of it. It's every, so perfect. Every, every single piece, apart from. Um, there's a moment in the film where uh, a policeman, they, they, they all go to this pub and get him through the back door and uh, are drinking away in there. And this policeman turns up and he was, he's now retired, but he was a policeman. And we, we hired a, a sort of an old policeman's tunic and a hat. Anyway, he ends up, he ends up drinking with them because he realises that um, they're from Puthcall and that's where his auntie's from. So it's all very, you know, it's great. But back to the costumes... They are all their own clothing, all their own clothes, and uh, they, they again that helped the familiarity. You know, they were wearing something that fitted them and that was comfortable and that they were used to wearing. Um, and when I uh, got in touch with a, a sound studio in London called String and Tins, and uh, I sent them an edit of the film which had been ungraded, so the color was quite flat, and um, I'd put a voiceover of me doing uh, my voiceover just through my laptop and sent it to them and said, listen, I've got basically no money, and uh, but I really think this is a great film and would you be interested in, in working on it? Bearing in mind that they do, you know, they've just done the latest British Airways advert and so they do massive, massive, massive projects. 
And I got an email back from uh, Sam, Sam Brock there, who, who, runs, who runs it. And he said, Keen, we love this film. We think it's amazing. Uh, yeah, we'll do it. Come in. So I went to meet them on the Friday. Uh, Friday evening, they said, do you want a beer? Yeah, have a beer, sit down. Let's watch through the film. And a uh, great uh, guy called Pat Patrick is going to work on it with you. And um, so we were watching it and we, we finished watching it. And he said, oh, brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, I've just got one question. I'm thinking, yeah, a- anything, you know, I'll tell you, it doesn't matter. He said, who did your costumes? We want, we want a phone number. And and I said to him, guys, look, this is, my heart sank because I thought, you know, he's going to be gutted. And I said to him, well, I've got to be honest with you guys, they're wearing their own clothing. And he sort of went, bloody hell, I didn't realise people still dress like that. <laughs> they do in Colston Bassett. They certainly do. They certainly do. That's great. And... Um, and what was even better is that when I then went home a few weeks later, I told some of the guys in the pub this, and they 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 thought it was hilarious. And I said to them, "But to be honest, uh, if you if you saw some of them, you know, quite edgy guys in in, in a basement of a sound studio wearing, you'd probably think the same." Yeah. Um, but but that was lovely, and they um, they uh, yeah the co- the costumes were great. And well, well, speaking of uh, sourcing the the policeman's uniform, mm. the um, you know the old school one of those. Yeah, I'm very curious. Where did you get the sharabang, the bus? Yeah, the bus. The the, the bus we got it from uh, a guy uh, in Yorkshire, and he he has loads of these buses. So the bus is a 1939 guy Arab sharabang, and I I thought quite early on that if we're going to make this film, we've got to get a proper bus. Right. Because it's so... Um, it becomes iconic with the film, and it's so important. It's how they get around. And I, I didn't want them to just all be loaded into a you know a Mercedes van and off they go, whilst being in all this great period costume. And So I hunted out for this bus for ages. And, you know, you can hire it for a wedding or an, an event, anything you want. And I got in touch with him, and it's been in some films before, and he came up from Yorkshire, uh, or came down from Yorkshire even, and the top speed of this bus is uh, something like, it's either 30 or 39 miles an hour. <laughs> so, and I said, of course, I said to him, you know, we need this for, we need it for a day, and we need to get a lot done in the day. So if you can be here for kind of 8.30 and leave at kind of 7, and he's thinking, right, okay, yeah. Um, so he left at, I don't know, 4 a.m. in the morning, because he can't go on the motorway. So he's got to go through all. It's only going on the A road. Yeah, no, no, yeah. He can't go on the motor. Can't go on the, can't go on the motorway at thirty-four miles an hour. So, um, so he came down, and it was amazing. I'll never forget. It was a beautiful day, which we were we were so blessed with because it, we wanted to with the weather to be great. And if it had been raining, it was raining, you know, because we weren't going to rearrange this bus. It cost a lot of money, and um, we were all standing in the pub car park, you know, sort of about five ten minutes late, and all of a sudden you just heard this sort of growling of a kind of World War tank. And uh, it, it was at the other side of the village. It took another two minutes for him to get there, and but it was just amazing. And when and it inspired the cast, which was great. It really G'd them up. Mm. And they and again, they they realised what a lot of effort and um, and time and, and, and whatnot had gone into arranging getting this, this vehicle. It was incredible. I mean, it really was. It's a beautiful, beautiful bus. Um, there's one scene... We drive into the Vale of Beaver. So the village, the village Colston Bassett is in the Vale of Beaver. And then we drive out into the Vale and get some nice footage of, of the bus driving along as they go from pub to pub. And uh, I said to him, there's this one quite steep hill. And I said, you know, we don't have to do it. We don't have to film there if, if, if you don't think it will manage it. And he sort of turned around and looked at me and went, no, this thing will manage it. This thing will manage it. I mean, it's built for Yorkshire. It'll go slow, but it will, it will do any hill in the world. 
and sure enough, it did. It, it was, an, it was, an, he was a real character as well, and he's in the film. He drove the bus. He's the okay. driver in the he's film. The, he's a driver. Great. You know, That's and so he, cool. it, Tony, Tony from That's Yorkshire, cool. Yorkshire Heritage buses, I think, and he, he, oh, he, he was great. So he became a part of the story as well. And there's a there's a nice moment. So when the when the bus first arrived, um, on the top uh, it said private hire, you know, as as as, as it would. And I said to him, have you got any... any oh, you mean like next to the numbers, where, yes. it, where it would say the so, destination? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It said private hire, and I said, do you have, do you have anything else f- for that? You know, could it say anything else? He said, um, oh, well, I've got two others. One of them is church, is church End. I thought, oh, okay, well, we could put that. And he said, well, so what's the other one? He said, load of mischief. <laughs> right, that's it. Well, yeah, that's perfect. perfect. Put that on it, and you you can see it. And um, yeah. it just it it just it, you know it was faked. It came together so well. I didn't know he had that. It was good. I'm curious. You talked a bit about uh, obviously only having him for one day because it was only having the bus for one day because it was um, the cost. How how did you fund this? Because it you know I've known you clearly did it you know with uh, maximizing the budget. There's obviously yeah. some cost that went into it. So what was how did you manage that? Yeah. So. Um, I sold Christmas trees for two years. Uh, obviously, only at Christmas. It's a seasonal job, and um, yeah, that's not the most uh, secure job. Yeah. To be, or- no, I was doing other bits and bobs, and um, I was actually working for, at one point. I was working for a guy that's in the film uh, who runs his own little business, and um, but the Christmas trees because it was so it's such intense work, and it's um, you know because of the nature of it, you you work a lot in a short space of time, so you earn a, a fair a fair bit of money. So I put that towards it and we did a crowdfunding campaign as well which was good so we got about two thousand pounds which uh which was amazing actually because which represents i'm sure a fair chunk of your overall budget yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Great. absolutely and uh not only was it good for the money i mean that's the reason you're doing it but also uh you build up a fan base yeah people become literally invested in it exactly yeah exactly nice. and um and uh, you know, you then know them something, and you want to you want them to be pleased and proud of of what you're trying to create. Um, so we yeah yeah we we put together a crowdfunding page and got two grand, which was great. And did that help for the crew? Because you mentioned you had a professional crew. Yeah, yeah. The crew. Um, so the crew was it worked really well. When I got in touch with Michael, he and he came uh, the the director of photography. He came and he saw all the guys in the pub, and then we did some more location recceing. And I sort of said to him, "Listen, I don't." I don't know any crew members. Um, you're the cinematographer. I'm the director. So here's basically a, a rough budget. You go and pick whoever you want, because you're going to be working with the, the you know the lighting guy, the sound guy, probably more closely than me in terms of the actual technicalities of capturing the film. Whereas I'm going to be focused, obviously, on all that stuff, but mainly on getting the best performance from the actors and setting the shots up and. And things, and I produced it as well because I sort of had to. So, keeping an eye on all, on all the logistical things. So it worked really well because he 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 took the budget I gave him, and he um, he basically hired who he wanted, hmm. and um, and they they were awesome. And and they all the first day I met all of them, apart from uh, the first assistant director, was on the morning of day one shooting. Yeah, were they based locally, or did they all come up? No, they were they were from they were from London. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that was actually really fun, and because we put them all up, and uh, some of them were staying with me and uh, and my parents, and we live in a in a in a uh, house about a couple of miles away from Colston now, 
um, but there's also a, a B&B in Colston. So they were, also, they, were, they were living there. So there was this real sense of um, synergy and um, there was a great spirit and kind of uh, almost companionship between the cast and crew, all working together, yeah. all living in the village, filming in the village. But they're having an outing of their own. Absolutely. And there were so many parallels like that. You know, we were filming an outing that um, that these guys go on quite regularly anyway. And as you say, the crew were having a, their own little outing. It was such a fun thing to shoot. The weather was great. You know, they, a lot of them were just pleased to get out of London and out of the smoke and into into the sticks and green fields and um, you know quaint country lanes. It was it, it was a lot of fun. But the cr- the crew the crew were fantastic. And actually, putting the money into into that stage, um, paying actually paying the crew and paying for them to stay because that was the that was the biggest um, uh, sort of uh, expenditure, I suppose. Really paid off because it meant that we then had a great film that we could send to String and Tins, the sound house, who then realised uh, or, or, or acknowledged how good it was, and so they then did their work for nothing. Mm. So you know it was kind of. Um, all the post-production work was well. The, we, we had a great editor. Um, I was going to ask you, did you editing? Yeah, yeah. A, a guy again. I spoke to Michael and uh, cinematographer and said, you know, really, we're obviously chuffed with what we've got. And who, 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 who do you know that's a really good editor? Because all of his recommendations had had come come really come really strongly through in terms of the crew. So he recommended an editor, um, and, and we paid him, and he did a fantastic job, Alec. Alec Hopkins, um, and his work combined with everyone else's work, including the amateur cast, meant that we didn't pay for the uh, a lot of the post-production work because they they saw its potential and its promise, and they completely, uh, out, of, out of great kindness and generosity, um, managed to support us and do that work. Mm-hmm. I think that that shows that they saw the merits of your. Of your creation, I think you can take some pride from that. Definitely, definitely, uh, yeah, and uh, I, I certainly do, and uh, and so should so should everyone involved, particularly the cast, because you know the film doesn't happen without them, mm-hmm. and um, and without that village, and it is such a such a special place. Mm. I mean, you know, coming back to the to the characters quickly, the landlord is the landlord, you know, of the pub, um, and in the second pub, his wife, who is also the landlord of the real pub in Colston Bassett, is the second landlord. So they are. They are all. They're all cast down to a T to their own characteristics, and that, that's what made it work. Um, you do really manage to create a very strong sense of place. You mm. you you feel like you are in a village. Well, in Wales, to be fair, I think yeah. that's the accents that are selling it the most. Because yeah, uh, but you really feel like you you are there and that you are then. It feels old worldy. Yeah, the, the, the village is like that. So we wanted to make sure we could capture it. And um, what we managed to do really well was, uh, I mean, the main pub and the second pub are all one building. The second pub is a stable block, but the way we filmed it and the way we shot it meant that you, you thought it was five miles away. Trixie. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but very, very helpful. And anyone that's done any filming at all will tell you that if you can manage to do something like that where you're not having to really change location happy days you know you're saving so much time effort and energy that you want to be spending on actually directing or uh shooting um and then the 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 uncle and the aunt's house where the first sort of eight minutes of the film is set uh that's at the end of a road 150 yards from the pub 
So it's all it's all contained, but the way we managed to shoot it, and again, kind of comes down to the aspect ratio that gives it that slightly almost claustrophobic feel when you're in the pub and it's all close, and meant that we could achieve that because you haven't got the the the, the widescreen nature of a say a sixteen by nine. So you don't have to worry about showing a, a building in, at the corner of a screen because the building isn't there. No, that's very, that's very handy. So was there any challenges in terms of shooting it in an English village? W- were there things that you mm. were conscious of? Were you trying to create, you know, were you trying to not, not say trick the audience, but make people feel like they're in Wales? Were you having, an, you know, in the pub, I don't know, keeping an eye out for an English flag or, or yeah. something like that? Like, was there any of that that went into it? Well, to a certain degree, but for me, the story is is universal and it's timeless. And what I wanted to get across was that we're we're showing this outing but there's outings everywhere, every day, happening with a similar group of people. Mm-hmm. We're just showing this one version, if you like, and it is unique, and it, it, once it happens, it's over, um, and that's it. So, yes, to a degree whereby... But you're never going to make Colston Bassett look exactly like West Wales. You, you can't... It's not possible. Um, Nottinghamshire has a different landscape, although it has its own, I think, beauty and its own its own characteristics. Um and we did do things like in the pub, we took off all the um, sort of uh, keg taps, Cronenberg, Stella, all that sort of stuff. So all you had was, it was completely plain. There was no, you had the hand pumps of the ales, but no signs on them. Mm. Um, so it was sort of anonymous, anonymous in that sense. Um, and then when we went to the second pub, we put a huge Welsh flag up at the back. Um, so we wanted, it's difficult because I, I didn't want to, I didn't, if you set out your stall and say, I'm I'm setting this in Wales, well, you know, anyone that has really been to West Wales could would easily go, well, it doesn't look like that. So it's setting it, a challenge for yourself. Exactly. Really, yeah. Making it difficult. So it's kind of a hybrid of saying, okay, it's not in Wales. Um, and there's many reasons for that, mainly because of the, the cast and how good they would be in that area and, and budget and logistics and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. But let's, you know, let's do as much as we can for it to, for it almost to remain... Uh, what's the word? Not nameless, but kind of neutral. Nu- yeah, n- yeah, neutral. Yeah. You know, it's not set anywhere. Exactly. It's, Ex- about, it's more about when it is and exactly. how it feels. Exactly. Oh, that makes good sense. Um, I was curious. You said the um, the judge at your uh, school oh, poetry yeah. had never heard of Dylan Thomas. Yeah. Had any of the actors in your village heard of Dylan Thomas? Yeah, they all they they all knew they all knew who he was. And um, did they know the outing as well? Or I think a few of them did, um, but it's a very, it's, it's quite an unknown story, really. It's not been made into a film before. There's a there's a voice recording of um, Philip Maddock reading it really, really well, and there's actually a recording of Dylan Thomas doing it, which is which you should listen to. It's it's, it's yeah, it's good. Yeah, you can get it on YouTube. I'll find that. Yeah, yeah. and it's um, we all should. It's uh, it's it, it, well, I don't know how to describe. It. It's quite bombastic in its nature, as he was. Um, but I'm, I had a meeting with the, all the cast in the pub to discuss it, and one of the because it's a narration, right? It's a short story. It's you know almost like a bedtime story. So one of the concerns that they had, uh, and rightfully so, understandably, was that you know are we going to have to learn lines? Are we? Is there going to be scripts for us to learn, and uh, you know all that sort of stuff? And I immediately said, no, you, you will not have to do that because whilst we're recording sound throughout filming for atmosphere and and sometimes you actually hear as you've seen you actually hear the guy speak because it's done with such great delivery and and it adds kind of um uh you know depth um so it's not just my voice 
but the point was that I, I do the voiceover and they can relax as much as possible. And so if there are moments where a certain character has a line, all we do is I'd say to one of the, one of the, one of the actors, okay, this is what I want you to say. And I'd read them a line and then we'd start filming and they'd say it. And we'd, we'd do that section. We'd try and copy the, the cadence and delivery so that it Absolutely. lines up when you do it. And for those uh, listening who haven't yet seen uh, Kean's film, uh, it's, it's narrated um, uh, as, if, as if through the eyes of a young boy who goes on the outing. Um, and whenever the characters speak, the narrator does the voices different voices yeah. for every character yeah, which absolutely. I think is quite creative uh, and it really it really does sell the idea that you're being told this story by by a little boy that witnessed it yeah yeah in fact to come on to the story yeah i mean it's um it's essentially it, it is about a young boy who stays with his uncle and his aunt and who uh, during this stay uh witnesses the uncle um planning and then embarking on his annual Jolly Boys outing, his annual booze cruise. So the aunt quickly says to to, to the uncle, right, I'm going home to my mother's because I don't want to be here when you're going to come back drunk and stinking and with all your chums. So uh, there's no one to look after the boy. So he has to go with his uncle. So there's this great scene um, where the boy, and as you say, the camera is the boy. And it moves and it goes on the bus and his and his uncle is is the leader. He's respected. No one is messing with him. It's his trip. Um, they're his cronies. You know, he's the biggest character. It, he, literally, he, he towers <laughs> above the rest he, of them. He, he really is. He he's the biggest in in all senses of the word. Um, he was great actually as well. Just quickly because he is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, character in the village. And so um, there were some moments during filming where uh, some members of the cast, their drink perhaps got to them a little too much, and so they started directing themselves and uh, directing uh, me, no names mentioned. Um, but Jacko, Richard Jackson, who plays the uncle, who, who as we're describing, was great because he'd kind of just say, listen, lads, just, just calm down, um, as, as the uncle in the story would and does. Um, so the boy goes on this bus and he's and when he first gets there, none of them have had a drink yet, or at least very little. And so they all scowl at him and scorn at him and say things like, um, you might as well bring women now and uh, this sort of stuff. And then he sort of says, listen, be quiet, off we go. And after, well, as soon as they start drinking, then they forget that I, the narrator, and that the young, the ne- young nephew is on the trip. And so then it's just about his experience of watching, being being let into this world, you know, a sort of rite of passage of these old men drinking and um, and having fun, something which is totally new and almost alien to him. And a, uh, is it a dream or is it a nightmare? Well, there's there's a, there's there's aspects of both. Yeah. And then by the end, he's he's the last one standing because they're all they're all they've all fallen over, apart from the uncle. I yeah. I, I want to come back to the beginning. You said something uh, at the opening about this choosing this play uh, as an opportunity for you to connect to your Welsh heritage yeah can you just talk briefly before we kind of wrap up about firstly what is what is your Welsh heritage and what 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 it meant for you to do this play and 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 did it do that did it did it allow you to do kind of connect in that way yeah so uh I I was born in Nottingham my mum and dad are both from South Wales um whereabouts uh so Port Albert uh they both went to school in, in Dufferin and uh, all my extended family still live uh, in in South Wales. My grandfather, cousins, um, 
that my grandfather's club medic was uh, a club medical officer doctor for Aberavon Rugby Club. So we always go down there and, and have, a, have a good time watching the match. And so I've always had a strong connection with Wales and always always felt proud to be Welsh. And uh, even even when I was about seven, eight years old, reading that story at school, reading the outing at school. Um, and then when I when I went to RADA and I sort of really became interested in acting, I then sort of connected with people like Richard Burton and and started watching films that he'd done and voice recordings and just fell in love with his voice. And then naturally then comes Dylan Thomas. Um, so connected with that kind of artistic side of, of, of Welsh, Welshness, if you like. Um, and just decided to make this film. I think I don't think I, I don't think I didn't make the film specifically to connect with uh, my Welsh heritage, but that but that happened. Um, I made the film because I thought it was a great story. Mm. Um, of, of course, and, and I, I was I, it's been an amazing thing to do because I have connected massively with my Welsh heritage. And since I made the film, I now sing in the London Welsh Male Voice Choir and. Um, the film's actually being screened next week at the London Welsh Centre, um, just by King's Cross, and uh, y- you know it's a special thing to be Welsh, I think, and uh, you have this innate sense of uh, national pride, and and is there's a, it, it, as you guys know, living in living in New York, living in Brooklyn, um, that when you meet up with other Welsh people. And you're not in Wales, you know, whether it's in London or New York or Hong Kong or wherever. That that that's special, and there's a, you you form special bonds, special relationships. Um, so no, it definitely did. It definitely definitely did do that. Um, but I, I I just love the story. It's just a, it's just a brilliant story, and that was the um, kind of the f- the fundamental reason for doing it. And and now here you are on an outing of your own. You've yeah, come, you've come to New York. Uh, to, to see your film screened in a, a little film festival, and I think you've got a few more screenings in the states. Yeah, so it, well, so uh, it's done really well in the states. Actually, it's been in about seven um, seven different film festivals. It's won a, a it won a Diamond Award in New York, and it won a Platinum Award in LA. And uh, it was congratulations. Sh- I mean, that's thank impressive. you. Yeah. Well, mm. it, I'm, it, obviously, I'm I'm incredibly proud, but also of of, of all the cast, particularly because. As I keep saying, you know, the film couldn't be made without them and the crew. But the cast, having had no experience, they did such, oh, you know such what a they great say? job. It takes a village. That's right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Um, and Borrego Springs, it got shown in Borrego Springs in uh, January uh, in a film festival out there. And so, yeah, it's being shown tomorrow night, uh, which is going to be great. It's going to be a really good event. Um, and there's a few others and potentially might show it for Dylan Day this year or next um, here in New York. Uh, so just to, to just get it shown as, at as many places as possible and to just tell the world about this great story because the one thing that amazed me when I first looked into doing this was the fact that, uh, to my knowledge, uh, no one's done it before, made it into a film. And uh, I just couldn't understand why. And uh, especially having had the centenary, having had the uh, 2004 celebrations, we had a poet in New York with Tom Hollander, which was a great, great production, um, but they hadn't tackled many of the short stories, or if any of them. I don't know if Child's Christmas, A Child's Christmas in Wales has been done. Um, I don't think it has, but maybe maybe that's one for someone to do next. Well, it's it's clear that you are uh, a very talented storyteller. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly super excited to uh, obviously see the see the see the screening tomorrow. Um, I mean, 
for those people at home who who want to get in touch with you, do want to follow your work, um, what's the best way for uh, for them to uh, reach out or find you? Well, so well, firstly we have a we have a website which is great, which has just been which has just gone live for the film, theoutingfilm.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well, Kian Llewellyn, four L's in Llewellyn. Um, so yeah, get me on there or Facebook or um, uh, send me an email. You can you can do that on on the website as well. So yeah, and we'll put it we'll put a link to all of these in the in the show notes online. So uh, that would be great. Find you there. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just great to be over here telling telling this story. Yeah, I got I get maybe one maybe just to wrap up and and before we say, you know say good sign off if obviously i think your own adventure is a story in itself if if there was anyone listening who is you know having you know similar kind of dreams of what they could possibly do what would be the kind of bit of advice what's the one thing you've learned that you'd want to maybe sign off with to impart with them um just do it just 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 go and do it whatever whatever story it is you think you can tell truthfully and honestly and in an entertaining way i think that's crucial as well um making something that's entertaining. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the film industry, TV, theatre, is about entertainment. If you don't entertain people, you can have any message you want, but they're going to switch off. So if you think you can do that, then just go and make it, because you probably can. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I think the outing is probably testament to that, that we took a group of professional drunks, proud proud professional drunks, who um, have so much on-set chemistry and spirit um, and combined them with a, a group of professional uh, uh, crew, film crew, and and we managed to make something entertaining. At least I hope it is. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, well, I'm sure you have a, no doubt you have a bright future ahead of you, Kian. Thank you so much for joining. I've had, I've had so a much, great guys. time. I've enjoyed listening. Right. Thank yeah. you. And I'm sure people have at home. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much. Awesome. Good luck tomorrow night. Thank you. We do hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, then please subscribe and leave us a review. The more people review the show, the more people will get to hear the show. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, then the email address is podcast at newyorkwelsh.com. Or you can contact us through our Instagram or Twitter, both of which are simply at New York Welsh. And if you'd like to stay up to date with the latest goings on, you can do so by subscribing to the monthly newsletter on our website, newyorkwelsh.com. Welsh.com.